Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. G'day and welcome to the Farm's Vice podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the Farm's Vice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farm's Vice and let's get into this episode. Welcome back to Beyond the Tax Return with myself and I'm joined by Scott Smith again. He was on previously talking all things succession and how that can work out for your family farm. But for this episode, we've got a cracking episode and I think it might be up there for one of the best of buy fields and how it is structuring your farm business. How are you actually trading the different realms of it and how it works out in legal terms. But for this episode, please remember it does not constitute as financial advice and is only intended for general advice only. If you need more information, please contact your own advisor, accountants, or the team at Biofields for their expertise. Now, let's get into this show. Well, welcome to Farms Advice once again. Scott, great to have you in the virtual studio coming in all the way from WA. I'm based in Dubbo, New South Wales, and it's just Great to have the capability to talk to the expertise over there with Byfields. How's it going? Yeah, good, Jack. We've um, 30 June today, so it's been a pretty uh, pretty busy lead up to, to today, but we'll, uh, we'll be looking forward to having a, a few drinks, no doubt, for end of financial year. Yeah, 100%. I was actually surprised Shane could herd you into the podcast studio over there. Good timing. Um, it's probably a good little relief for you to come in and do this little episode before you have to probably finish up your client notes or get back to them or whatever you may have to do as an accountant. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good having a little break to uh, to have a chat with you, Jack, for sure. How's it been currently for, like, from the accountant's view for your clients over there in WA? They're looking pretty positive for this year and having a good planning season off the back of last year and the soil, the moisture in the soil. Yeah, yeah, most people are tracking pretty well, um, to be honest. It's probably just the um, the input prices that have have gone right up that, you know, is taking a bit of the cream off the top from last year's profits um, in terms of, yeah, people's bottom line there. So that's probably the main thing we're seeing when we're doing some of these updated tax estimates now. Um, going through and having a look at people's, you know, actual spend compared to budget and and often it's yeah been a lot higher. So well, in most cases, it's been a lot. Um, probably compared to last year, sort of fertilizer costs, you know, double even in tripled in in a lot of cases. So um, yeah, just inputs inputs a lot higher. But hopefully the grain proceeds, you know, grain grain price holds on, and it yeah sort of um, you can still make money on those on those high input prices if the grain yeah grain price holds up. Yeah, well, I think. To have that reward at the end of it will be really good as long as it can stay up there. Uh, beef and sheep livestock sectors going really well as well, pumping along. Wool's probably back a little bit 
um, across the board. Um, but great to have you in. Last year, you were in here talking all things succession back in August, I believe. Um, Scott Smith, you're actually the director in the Perth office, working with the agribusiness team across your farming clients. A pretty cool role, actually. I'd love it to, to do that, but accountancy just wasn't my topic at university, but we did get through it. Now, yeah, it's not for everyone, Jack. No, no, not everyone's a bean counter, bean counting nerd. So, no, that's why I like to leave it up to the experts like yourself. Um, but enough about all of that. Let's get down to agribusiness and talk about what we're going to get through on this episode. Had some great topics so far, um, but we'll be diving a little bit deeper. We've touched on this topic previously a smidgen, um, but all these sort of topical questions areas where people actually want to dive into it a bit more, how they can set up their own operation business legally versus management. What are we going to be talking about today, Scott, if you haven't guessed it already? Um, probably talking more so on the legal side of things. So the actual underlying trading structure that you run your farm under. So not necessarily the, um, you know, the overall sort of management hierarchy and, and how everyone fits in that, you know, within, in, in, within the internal management of the farm it's probably more so the actual formal legal role that you hold within the farming business and, and what legal structures that you're, you're actually trading under. So just before we get into it though, give us a brief outline, the difference between talking about the management hierarchy within the trading structure versus where we're going today with legal. So I guess with where, when I'm talking about management hierarchy, I guess I'm talking about, you know, with, within the farm operation, you'll have, you know, your casual workers, you have your full-timers, you'll have sons and daughters on the farm, you'll have, you know, mum and dad. Uh, each person has their own role from a day-to-day -day management point of view on the farm. So, you know, mum and dad are usually in that, you know, position of, of ultimate um, overall manager, manager of the farm. And then, um, you know, sons and daughters yeah. will come into that, yep. come into that sort of role eventually there. Um, and then, you know, while they're sort of coming through the ranks, they might be involved in or, you know, overseeing one uh, operation on the farm. So it might be, you know, the spraying component, someone might be sort of completely um, managing that and someone might be managing the, you know, the employees or managing the servicing of, of all the equipment or, you know, each person sort of has their role. But these are what we'll talk about today is, is more so the actual formal legal um, role that you hold within the farming business and you might not actually hold any formal legal position as such um, if you've just come back to the farm for example um, as opposed to right the way through where you've got full full legal ownership and, and control so that's sort of what we'll focus on today yeah definitely um, I actually t overtook my old man in the hierarchy status on farm he doesn't actually know that yet but he'll soon <laughs> find out um, but yeah so are you the boss now the presumed boss, yeah, but we'll see how it all works out in the end. I'd have to work on that succession plan a bit more with him. Um, but for this episode, what are the common types of trading structures that we do see that farming clients are actually working um, with currently? Yeah, the number one that we see is a trust, so a, a trading trust. So I was just looking through some some stats on on the clients that I work with and. And it actually surprised me that it was this high, but of, of my clients, 85% uh, would be it trading via a trust. Um, so that's the main one that we see. We, it's it's you know been it's a preferred vehicle there for for running your farm business. Um, it's good from an asset protection point of view too, uh, provided you've got a uh, a company that sits as trustee. So whenever you've got a trust, you need to have a trustee. Uh, that can be either an individual or a company. Um, if you have a company as trustee, it, it gives you that asset protection for any assets that you own personally um, against any litigation against the, uh, the farm business there, which, you know, from a traditional point of view, we've, we haven't really seen a lot of litigation against farming businesses. Like farming businesses haven't really been sued in the past, but it's something that uh, become, it's becoming more prevalent and, you know, across every industry. Uh, and I think farming's no different to that. And that's the ATO versus the farmer sort of situation was the case. Yeah, ATO or really maybe a third party um, that might sue the farm for whatever reason or, 
um, yeah, if you're exposed to some some form of litigation there, having a company there sort of helps protect your your personal assets as as much as possible there. Yeah. So that's what the benefit there is. So looking that that's probably number one that we see is a trust, uh, and then going down. The next one would be a partnership. So probably seeing this is probably, you know, would have been the traditional structure probably 20 or 30 years ago. Might have been sort of a mum and dad type partnership there. There's, there's still going to be a lot of these around. Um, of my client list, I've, I've got about 12% that are in a partnership structure. Um, they would most likely have a, you know, have another trust or something involved in that too. So it's not necessarily just a mum and dad partnership there, but um, yeah, it's important that, yeah, that's, that's the, of, of that list, it's probably about 12% on my list has a, yeah, has a partnership structure there. So now, that's probably the next Just two parties or can you extend it out further to your brothers and sisters, um, grandparents, whatever it may be, your family structures, it's all different. Can you go past the two parties? Yeah, you can, you can. So we've got some partnerships that are just mum and dad. And then we've got some partnerships, might be mum, dad, and a trust all in partnership together. And then the partnership structure works quite well when you've got, say, two families. Yeah. Um, say it's, you know, um, two families working on the same farm, um, wanting to have that economy of scale working together, yeah. um, but still wanting that separate sort of ownership. Um, having, say, you know, each, each family has their own trust and then, each, and then those trusts are in partnership together. So we find we've we've got a few clients like that where it's where it's say two brothers that are working on the farm together and each of them has their own trust and those trusts are, are in a partnership together. So that sort of gives them the asset protection by having the trust structures there, but also gives that separation for each family so that they know where they stand. Yeah, that's like a very. I'm just visualising this as you speak. That was a pretty well summed up um, visualisation visualization of what it is for the partnerships um perfect stuff number three what's that one number three would be a, a trading company so the, we've got a, a a few clients in that of my list it's only one percent that are actually trading via a company um the reason we probably don't see so many farming businesses trading via companies i think sort of yeah ryan norton touched on this subject a little while ago i think it was um, really you sort of lose that uh, averaging income benefit, you lose the ability to use FMDs, that sort of stuff. So there's a few downsides to using a company, but um, really in, in certain circumstances, it works quite well. Um, but it's really a one size doesn't fit all. Um, can't just say, oh, you know, this is going to be the, the best structure for absolutely everybody because it's, it's really horses for courses. And it's just picking the, you know, the most appropriate structure for you at that point in time, you know, based on your size and scale of, of business and based on who's involved in the business there. So it's, it's really important to, to constantly review that structure and make sure it's appropriate um, for you at that time. You probably think that might be more applicable to the outsider sectors within agriculture, outside of livestock and cropping. They're pretty high risk environments. Um, horticulture where you, got the environment that you're creating they're in sheds or something like that in a big greenhouse that might be more applicable because i know it's best to go into a company after operating moving through 120,000 of revenue or something um but as a farm primary producers losing that five-year average uh is pretty advantageous to have that in your back pocket especially like in the last five years i think yeah three years of drought two years of a good year um, last year and this year now. Oh, three years coming into it now. Um, but yeah, I'll let, I'll let the expertise up to you for that. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Those those companies probably work better for those agribusinesses that have got, you know, really consistent income. Yeah. So, you know, your broad acre cropping or your broad acre livestock um, where it's more variable, you know, they, they probably don't necessarily work so well unless the business is just that big that it, yeah, that it does. So yeah, it will still work in some circumstances, but yeah, I think for these three partnership, trust, and company, uh, that these could all be later fleshed out into another episode itself and diving into them, um, just because they are quite 
complex and how you can work with them better, um, especially within your family operations. Maybe you're doing something currently that you're looking to start up a trust or something or how you can just navigate around that a little bit better using the expertise of what Byfield are giving and providing for free on the podcast. So it's great to hear these different stories and structures and what your clients are actually doing. Great to have these examples. Yeah, you're right. You could you could make each each one of those structures a whole whole topic just about in itself there. So we'll sort of um we'll just yeah, brush over it and yeah, do a bit of an exec summary today. Yep, beautiful. So knowing that we've got those three that we just went through, why is it important to know which one you're in and how you're operating, whether you're at trust within a partnership or you're trading as a company? So the main things to think about really are asset protection, how it works in terms of, you know, really protecting your personal assets that you hold. So, for example, if you've got, say, mum and dad in, in partnership together and the, the farm business is running that partnership, but they also own the farmland in their personal names and maybe some off-farm assets, whether it's, yeah, a house in town or house in a city, um, in their personal names. If there's ever a litigation brought against the farm, being individual partners, they're jointly and severally liable. So their their personal assets are, are up for up, are at risk there um, from that litigation. So there's things like that. You know, it's really important to know how to um, yeah how the asset protection side of things works within your farming business. Probably the second one, how it works from a succession planning point of view is pretty important there. Um, also estate planning and probably the one as accounts we we tend to focus on a little bit as well is the is the tax side of things and, and how it works from a from a tax point of view. So um, obviously with a with a partnership there, if it's mum and dad in, you know, partnership 50-50 together, that will just, you know, the profit that that business makes just goes out to out to mum and dad each year and those percentages that's where a trust probably comes into play a little bit more. And, you know, you've got a bit more flexibility with where you allocate that, that profit each year. So it's, it's really about understanding, yeah, how your business works, how that trading structure works from those points of view. And really, if you're, if you're unsure, you know, ask your accountant. Um, we put a fair bit of time for our clients uh, into really preparing structure diagrams and, and making sure our clients understand what structure they're in and how it operates and really you know regularly reviewing that structure and seeing if it needs to be needs to be changed along the way if, if there's a more appropriate structure that that will work a bit better then um yeah we'll we'll so we'll restructure into that new structure there have you seen like through maybe a farm's going through a growth period i don't know we're talking like we're coming out of silicon valley but like over time 10 years if we are they've expanded um, bought out their neighbours and whatnot. Have you seen that clients are actually changing, having a look at what, how they've structured themselves and how they can better um, utilise their own tax management skills and yourself? Yeah, yeah. I've got one example that really brings some springs to mind. We had a client, or we've got a client that is um, basically mum and dad working the farm, but they they run a really profitable farm business. Has expanded over the course of time is a really big operation now. They were previously running as a trust. Yep. Um, all the profit was, yeah, getting allocated out to them. So they had, um, you know, call it a million dollars worth of profit um, per year was getting allocated out to mum and dad. So essentially mum and dad had sort of 500,000 of, of profit each year. So obviously paying a, a significant amount of tax and they were really reinvesting all that profit back in the business, um, which is great because they were growing the business but that trust um, structure, we've eventually, we've moved them into a trading company now. So they, because their income was so high and they were so profitable and because they were reinvesting all the profits back into the business, at that point, a trading company was more appropriate for them and it saved a lot of tax and they're able to just, you know, cap all their tax at that company rate of, of 25% now. And, and just reinvest the profits back into the farm, which is what they were always doing. Um, but they're not having to pay tax in their personal names first and then reinvest it back after that. So it's, yeah. So for, for that. What sort of difference did they make on top of the 26%? 26, 25? 
25 at the moment. So really a lot of their, their, their marginal rates were probably, uh, would have been high 30s at least, probably yeah, pushing that 40% as an average sort of yeah, marginal rate there. So, um, you know, when, you, when you're talking 40% compared to 25%, they're making a 15% um, difference or 15% tax saving there. So, you know, on a million dollars of profit, that's 150,000 yeah. uh, each year of tax that they've saved um, and that they're reinvesting back in their business rather than going straight to the tax man there. So um, obviously that's not gonna suit, every, you know, that's a, that's a pretty high performing client and they're, yeah, a really high performing business. So it's not gonna, not gonna suit every, every farm business there, but that's one example of, of how just, you know, correct structuring can, can save a, a significant amount of tax and um, and still cover off those other important aspects, being the the asset protection, um, the succession planning, and the estate planning, because they're uh, they're things that we don't, you know, as accountants sometimes we drift towards the tax management side of things a bit too much, um, but it's really important that we cover off those other aspects too, um, to make sure that that structure is is the right one for um, for our clients. Yeah. Profit first, tax second. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the one. Um, so playing with that, your tax management within the structure, how how does that play out from your point of view, like going into the end of this financial year um, and starting a fresh one tomorrow? How does that play out? How can we use tax management within the different structures? Yeah, so I guess they just operate they operate quite differently, really. The you know, the, from a tax management point of view, if you're in partnership, really the profit comes out to all the partners and, and gets taxed in the partners' names. And that's if you're in a trust, then, isn't it? The partnership. What was that? Sorry. Is it coming out as a dividend to those within the partnership? Uh, it's really coming out just as as primary production income, just as a, a partnership distribution, essentially. So it's yeah, it's really income that lands in that personal in that person's name. Um, as if those, you know, as if that farm business was operated in their, you know, as a sole trader or in their personal name, um, essentially there. So, um, so that's the, that's the partnership, a trust. You know, you've got a, you've got an ability to allocate that out um, each year. You decide who gets, who gets which allocation if you're in a discretionary trust there. So that works, that works quite well if. Um, if say someone's you know got a got a wage income or had a big capital gain in their name one year, um, you want to direct some income away from that person for that year. So um, yeah, that works quite well. And then it, then a company really just gets taxed at that flat twenty five percent rate. So yeah, company works quite well if you if you're reinvesting all the um, all of the profits back into the farm. Um, if you're drawing all the profits out of the farm and and you know buying houses in in cities or you know buying personal investments with it. Then a company doesn't really work because you've got to really pay dividends out, and yeah, you end up paying the same amount of tax anyway. So, yep. Well, each to their own. Every farm's different, um, and how they work around it, their different structures as well. But one that's probably shaking up the industry or individual farms. I actually came back at the average age of 27 to our family farm after being overseas for a bit. Um, and coming back, looking at the different structures, your role. Where do I stand and what do we need to do or sort out before everything sort of blows up too big? Um, not arguments with the family, but just to get some structure in place, the legalities of it all. Hmm. Yeah, I sort of put this one in. I thought that, um, you know, really with um, probably more so to your younger listeners, really saying what, all right, well, where do I stand um, from a legal point of view if I come back to the farm? So generally, you know, someone coming back to the farm would be, you know, you start out as an employee uh, on wages, a um, bit like your seasonal and your full-time guys. Um, you really have no ownership or no, no formal legal control um, over the farm business. You might have some management control, you know, from a hierarchy point of view, but from a legal point of view, um, you, you're basically just an employee um, and yeah, you don't have that formal control. Then you might go up to say, uh, manager level where you've made a you know longer term commitment to the farm you might have been on the farm for you know five or ten years now um, yeah you're committed long term you might start taking say drawings as opposed to wages um, we find that that works you know a bit better in terms of in terms of wages at that point um, 
you might take a, a profit share for if you you know if the business is run via a trust you might get a profit share at that point so you might get distributed some income uh, rather than paid a wage so I just that's to us that's sort of a more of an indication that you know someone's made a long-term commitment to the farm and um and that you know drawings are a bit more appropriate than than paying them a wage now um dive into the next one drawings how's that set up and um how's that work for younger farmers both male and female sons and daughters returning to the farm is that like you just get paid drawings as if like it's your wage coming through yeah yeah pretty much from a day-to-day -day basis you're still getting you still get the amount come out um from the farm bank account into your bank account um just as a payment you know usually a regular payment either you know fortnightly or monthly um, yeah, in, straight into your account. So from the from a practical day to day point of view, probably doesn't um, change too much. It's more so the background, how it's all treated from a tax point of view. Your wages. That's obviously got to go through all single touch payroll and had tax taken out of it and everything like that. Whereas your your drawings really just comes out of the you know out of the the pool of money of the you know the uh, the farm business there and and then you'd usually get a profit allocation at the end of the year. Um, to sort of offset those drawings really and, and, and really so the farm gets a um, gets a tax benefit from using up your low rates of tax and that sort of stuff. So you're sort of starting to share the um share the tax burden for the um for the farm business. So is that more frequent than what you'd see for wages, probably for the, the higher roles of what manager farm managers are currently doing? Um probably only seeing sort of drawings and that profit share for family members. I think generally we'll see, you know, those those farm managers, are, you know, if they're unrelated, um, they'd still be an employee in most cases. You know, they'd be a highly paid employee and there'd be other perks they get along the way. Um, but generally they wouldn't, yeah, we wouldn't sort of involve them in, in the actual, um, yeah. as a, yeah, as a distribution from the trust. They might get like a harvest bonus or something like that um, if it's been a good year. Um where yeah they get a bit more at the end, um, but that'll still be that'll still be really wages. So yeah, but that's based around sort of sweat equity for the sons and daughters coming back to the farm, knowing that they're one day going to succeed the farm, um, yeah. take it over and run it themselves as the owner. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, there's sometimes you know you've got to put in that those hard yards to start with, and and you know. That's the decision you make when you, you when you really go back to the farm. You might be foregoing, you know, a really high wage. You know, you might have been on the mines, or you might have been doing something else, and you know, you for, you forgo that high wage to come back to the farm. Um, but you know, that's really with a long-term view of you know eventually taking it over and and you know inheriting a, a, a very large or substantially you know big asset there um, in lieu of you know not getting the wages throughout the throughout the course of time. Yep. What about superannuation? How's that work with drawings? Is it's just the same as if you were in wages? Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. So each person really has their um, their maximum limit that they can put into super and um, either claim a deduction for it or yeah, not not claim a deduction for it if you're um if you um yeah if you don't need to sort of thing. So really that's twenty seven thousand five hundred, and that applies whether you're on wages or whether you're um, getting drawings or all that. So usually, if you're on if you're on wages, you have to get that um, superannuation guarantee taken out of your wages uh, at the moment. So that goes straight into your super fund and, and contributes to that twenty seven thousand five hundred cap. Um, whereas if you're on drawings and you're getting a profit share, generally that'll just go in as a lump sum or could go in as a lump sum, or they might. You know, it's really a decision for the for the farm business at that point to say, all right, well, do we put a do we put five grand in for, um, you know, for for John who's been on the farm for you know five ten years now? Do we start topping his super up? Um, yeah. And yeah, usually claiming it uh, claiming it as a tax deduction works quite well. And like, pull me up if I'm going too left of field with any of these questions. I feel like I'm just one on one with you getting the advice. Um, but that's a great advantage of podcast. It's spreading the word of farms advice. Um, the oh, I was say so I've lost it now. 
Anyway, let's carry on. I'm sure I'll round about to it later on. But yeah, diving into the next one for director, how's this work? Yeah, so at this point, this is probably where you, you first start coming in and having a formal um, position of control. So usually this would be someone who's you know been on the farm for a long time now, probably 10, 15 years potentially there. Um, and you'd come in as a, as a director of either the company, if it's a trading company, or more likely director of the trustee company of, of the trust, of the trading trust there. So that being a director, it gives you a formal seat at the table. So generally, you know, the directors of the, of the trustee company would be mum, dad, and then they'd bring daughter or son in um, who's been on the farm for a long time. So really be the, the three people. Um, making, you know, I guess that's a a, um, a bit of a milestone in terms of the long-term succession of the farm is really, you know, that's your, that's usually the first step is, is coming in as a director. Um, important that you know what the um, implications are for coming in as a director. Um, we've got a good, good fact sheet on the website, which has all the, um, has all the, really what the um, the roles and responsibilities are of, a, of becoming a director. So yeah, it's one that, that people should check out. If um, if they go to our website there, they can have a look at that. Um, but it's important you go in with your eyes, with your eyes open in, in that regard, because you, um, yeah, you, you're potentially opening yourself up for some, um, for some, yeah, litigation there if you don't do the right thing. And yeah, so really that's coming in as a director um, that's really where you get that formal formal seat at the table, um, as opposed to yeah, as opposed to just sort of you know being a being a you might be the farm manager at that point, but you might not have that formal seat at the table from a legal point of view. Yeah. And then probably you move on to you know the next part would be actually coming in where you get some. So that's probably you know being a director gives you some control, but it doesn't really give you any formal ownership of the farm business as such, like it gives you a formal seat at the table in terms of decision-making. But really the next step would be coming in either as a as an appointer and guardian or a, usually a, an alternate um, appointer and guardian or, and then joint appointer and guardian with mum and dad um, with the trust, which sort of gives you that ultimate, ultimate control of the trust. Um, if, if you're trading via a partnership, you might come in as a partner um, or if you're trading via a company, you might you might be a you know you might become a shareholder there. So we generally see with trusts that works quite well, where you know along the course of time over you know as a, as part of the overall succession plan, someone might come in as a director first, and then they might come in as an alternate appointer and guardian, which means that if something happens to mum and dad, they they fill that role. So. Um, it's sort of set up from an estate planning point of view. The next step would be they come in as a joint appointer and guardian with mum and dad. So then there might be the three, might be three people as the appointers, appointers and guardians. And then eventually they'll they'll become the sole appointer and guardian and, and mum and dad will step out. So um, that's probably what we see with, with the succession of, of our farm businesses that are operating via trust. That's probably how they sort of work. And they're actually well. formalised on, like documented on a piece of paper to know who the appointer and guardian is um, if the parents were to move off or more serious risk of injury or death um, on the farm. Yeah, so you do a formal uh, deed of appointment. Yeah. So, yeah, for each each trust, you, you do a deed of appointment, which says, yeah, you're bringing in, you know, um, this person as the alternate or joint, you know, appointer and guardian at that point. Um, and then that basically formalizes that position. And yeah, if something did happen to uh, happen to mum and dad, then it's, it's all set up, ready to go. And, and they just, you know, take control of that, that farming business there. So um, that's probably important to note as well that, you know, anything like that sort of sits outside of an estate as well. So if you're doing it via a deed, um, in a trust there, um, yeah, there's, there's no contesting that via sort of mum and dad's estate. So that's, it, it feels a bit more watertight than, um, than transferring that position of control via the estate there. So, yep. Yeah, I think that's 
what a lot of farms across the country would be looking for, watertight security, um, and just setting yourselves up. I'd imagine there'd be a lot out there that haven't done that. I don't even know if we've done that ourselves. Um, but having that person and that level of safety net, um, probably what all farms are looking for or wanting as well. So for this going on, what's the difference between ownership and our trading structures on farm? Yeah, so I think this is an important distinction to make because often the plant equipment, livestock, uh, growing crops, that's owned by the trading entity, but often the, often the land is actually owned by someone else or yep. by some other entity. So often they're two, two separate things. So um, for example, you might have say a trading trust that, that owns the plant equipment uh, livestock growing crops, but then the underlying land might actually be owned by a separate landholding trust. So you might come in as a controller, um, even as an appointer and guardian of you know the the trading business, being the trading trust. But that doesn't give you any necessarily any entitlement to the underlying land, which could be owned by a separate trust or or separate people there. So. You know, you could have a, a trading business that is, you know, the trading business is run by a trust, but mum and dad own the land in their personal names. So if you come in as a, you know, as a controller of that trust, that doesn't give you any uh, ownership of the underlying land itself. So I think it's important to, to understand that, you know, the, there's sometimes a difference there or in a difference between the, um, the ownership and the, and the trading structure there so yeah i think and off all of that and splitting it up um does look quite complex but from your view it's quite easy getting in and establishing this of the ownership and the trading structure who may own the equipment the livestock or actually the crop um value yeah yeah generally when we can really determine that by looking at the underlying um financial and, and legal structure there. We can see where everything's um, owned. Um, over here in the West, we can do title searches and we can actually look up who owns the farmland. And, and we usually do that for, for all of our clients. And we have, a, we have a land holding summary that we prepare. So we know where all the farmland's owned and then we'll, um, we'll present that to our clients so that, yeah, so that they understand where everything is owned and, and um, yeah, who controls what and probably more so for the younger generation as well, sort of getting starting to get them involved and and get them um, understanding how it all fits together. Yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine but, getting the younger generation on and just running through these structures um, earlier, the better we've been saying as a trend right through beyond the tax return series with yourself at Byfields. Um, earlier, the better. Why not? Yeah, I think you're. I think that's exactly right. The, the sooner you can, you know, bring son or daughter along to those. You know, if you're having a meeting with the accountant or with your, your with your bank manager or with the farm consultant, um, the sooner they get involved in those meetings, the more understanding they're going to have, and probably the better farm managers and and better business owners they're going to actually be in the future. Yep. You're going to actually equip them um, with the tools to to succeed. So, I think the sooner that you can get them involved in those those meetings and get them to understand sort of how it all fits together, what the, what the trading structure is, what the, what the land owning structure is um, and, and getting them to know how it all fits together, I think is, is really important. It's going to give them the tools to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of elements that go into running a farm. You can just produce sheep, cattle, your crops all year round and the same, same, varieties and same amount each year, but getting into complexities of what this is and seeing how you can operate that little bit better or just see if maybe a different structure from this episode that you've raised, you might go to your accountant now and just double check um, or just double check with your partnership, your trust, whoever may be within that as well is pretty important to know what's going on um, and don't sleep on it. I think we were saying with one of you from Byfields, just every few years, just have a little refresh of what's going on in your business operations as well. 
yeah, it's good to um, good to review that overall structure. Yeah, probably every every couple of years at least. Um, just make sure it's still appropriate. Um, if you're not sure, you know, ask your accountant. They, you know, we're we're really big on here at Byfields making a structure diagram for all of our clients, giving them a copy, and yeah, making sure they understand it, how it works, and and you know, reviewing that on a regular basis to make sure it's 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 appropriate at that at that point in time because something that might have been appropriate ten years ago yep. um, might not be appropriate now. So yeah, I think it's important to have that regular review um, to make sure it's make sure it's um, optimal. Yeah, it seems to be changing a lot quicker, especially with government's policies, whatever may take place that impacts the farm um, from the bottom, from the top, really, within Parliament. But for yourself, what why is it important for ownership structure to get it right from the start? We just spoke about getting stuck into it, um, getting started, take action now, but what are a couple of points on that? Yeah, I think probably the question we get asked a lot is when um, when someone's sitting at the real estate agent's desk and they're ready to sign up the um, the, the the new farm purchase and um, and they've they've got all you know the the inks all on the contract and um, and they're ready to sign on the dotted line and and they um, they give us a call and they ask oh you know what what entity or who should who who should we buy this new farm in um, and ideally that ideally we'd like a bit more notice than that but in practice that's um that happens probably a bit too much um but yeah we put a lot of a lot of care and a lot of consideration into making sure that that um particularly for land purchases making sure that goes into the right entity to start with because it can save a lot of dramas down the track um if yeah if you get it right to start with and it's you know not in um not in, in the wrong names. Like for example, I've got a, a client that, um, you know, thought they were doing the right thing, bought, bought some more farmland, bought it in um, dad and son's name as, you know, jointly there. Um, yeah, dad's now sort of moved away from the farm, um, but still has still has ownership over 50% of that, of, that, um, of that farm block. So we've got to then try and get that into, into son's name um, and yeah, really the two big things or the two big costs of whenever you're moving farmland is, is really stamp duty and, and capital gains tax. Um, so, or they're the two big, you know, capital gains tax will be across Australia. I don't know what the stamp duty laws are and that over in, uh, over in the east there. Um, but yeah, it's something we've got to be pretty conscious of um, is stamp duty. So had they sort of bought that, you know, say in a trust, um, you know, control of that could have been passed on to to Sun pretty easily um, without incurring those those big costs there. Um, so there's things that we can do. You know, we can we can look to apply some small business capital gains tax exemptions or some we've got some family farm exemptions here in the West um, for the stamp duty component that we can look to apply. But just means it's you know you've got to jump through quite a few hoops to to get them sometimes, and and sometimes they are restrictive. Um, and, and people are locked out from actually accessing those ones. So it's a hell of a lot easier just getting that structure right to start with and, and taking the time to um, to consider it, yeah, before you're sitting at the real estate agent, yeah, just ready to sign up that that um, purchase contract. Yeah, absolutely. Have all your crops in, in line before you get going on that one. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. One just quickly, not on the blueprint we've gone through today, but... A younger person coming on farm and they're they're looking to buy into the farm and the overall sort of ownership and the structure of it. What are people doing or what's an example? Like are they working? I know each year you receive a percentage of the farm. Um, is that a way that people are buying into the farm rather than having huge outlays on the day of retirement, 65, your parents retire? you hand over millions or whatever the agreement may be. Um, is that a thing, an option for younger yeah. people within family? Yeah. I mean, probably what we see is, yeah, you're right. We don't necessarily see that one big succession event where everything happens on the one day. Yeah. Um, generally, it will be, you know, staggered over over a period of time. Um, we've got one succession plan that we're sort of doing at the moment where, you know, for the first... Um, five years um, 
yeah, the daughter was sort of involved in the in the farm there and, and involved with mum and dad um, in terms of decision making and just understanding how the farm business runs. Then you know the next five to five to ten years, um, they were brought in as a director, and you know so had that formal seat at the table. Um, the, you know the next five years after that, they'll um, they'll come in as a as a joint appointer and guardian um, with with mum and dad, and then after that, they'll sort of eventually take over control um, of the whole business there. So it's it's sort of yeah it, we find it works quite well if it's it's staggered over that over the course of time. Um, yeah, it's not just one, you know, one event as such and every, you know, mum and dad walk out one day and, you know, hand the keys over. It's, yeah, it's sort of, um, yeah, it's usually spread out. Yeah, and like everything else within agriculture, nothing happens overnight. It's good to get that average over the time. Um, but also maybe you want to cut out, you find out five, 10 years and it, really not isn't for you for that ownership um and maybe the structure needs to change but that's another story and another day yeah yeah that's a that's a whole another topic isn't it really so and i think like today's blueprint of what structures are for australian farms agribusinesses um how they operate and just knowing what they're doing how they're set up and communicating that to all involved whether they're your sons and daughters in the family farm, they're coming back or they're about to come back in a year or two or whatever. What are some take home messages that someone can go home and actually implement or just use as motivation to improve their own operations? Yeah, I think my main take home messages would be really know, know your structure and, and how you're and what your involvement within that structure is. So yeah, particularly if you're, a, you know, you've come back on the farm and you want to know what the next steps are. Um, and, you know, if you're in control of the farm, you know, ask your accountant to, you know, pull out your structure diagram and, and, and show you how it all works and, and ask the question, oh, look, is this the best structure for us at the moment? Uh, don't be afraid to ask those questions. Um, probably number two is really understanding the difference between your trading structure and your ownership structure. Um, often those things will be too will be separate and for good reason. Usually that's from an asset protection point of view. So I think understanding the difference between your trading and your, and your ownership of the land. And probably the last one is, yeah, really take that time to, if you're making that big big farm purchase, um, take the time to, to decide on the most appropriate purchase entity because it's so much easier getting it right to start with um, than trying to move farmland later on, so. Yeah, absolutely. I think today's um, episode might even go into the Byfields office and beat out the rest. I think Jack Hayes needs to be knocked off the podium. He's got the <laughs> most listen. Um, he's he's getting cocky. He's getting cocky with that big beard of his. He's uh he's just strutting that around the office right now, Jack. So yeah, I think so. A few Ned Kelly um, quotes have been across social media with that. He might need to be knocked off his perch. <laughs> Um, probably the other thing I'll touch on is, yeah, we've got some really good resources on our website um, if people are keen. So really talking about we've got a, a farmland ownership structures um, flyer, which we've, uh, which we've put together, um, which is really a bit of a ready reckoner um, for those land purchases. Um, just bear in mind the stamp duty is, is going to be based on WA laws there. Um, and there's some other good things on the website, other good free resources too. So, yeah, check them out. Um, you know, roles and responsibilities of, of company directors, uh, employing staff and family members. And yeah, we've got a Dear Hope page for succession planning and that as well. So um, yeah, check it out. It's all, it, you might get some good stuff off there. So yeah, I'll add them into the show notes so people can actually go in and farmers hate wasting time trying to look up stuff. I know it all too well. So I'll add that in and also before your fact sheet that you spoke about, I'll, I'll put that in there too. So anyone listening to this episode can have a look and see what applies to them and just get some farms advice um, into them for that day. That's great. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Well, Scott, we'll wrap it up there, mate. I think that was a cracking episode from succession into trading structures for farming businesses out within Australia. 
Well, yourself, thanks for coming on. Grateful to have Byfields backing the podcast and doing the best and passing on some expertise. Um, and I think you get a lot out of it by sharing your own word of what you've learned over your experiences individually. Also, as a team there at Byfields, it's great work and loving what's happening on the scenes. Yeah, great to be involved, Jack. Thanks for having us on again. Too easy. So for next time on Farms Wise Podcast from Byfields on Beyond the Tax Return Series, that was a mouthful. Um, who's coming on? Who can we talk? Uh, so we, yeah, we've got Brant Jansen from our Northern office. Uh, he's coming on to do the next topic. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll let you know what that topic is going to be. Amazing. Keep your ears tuned in for that one. How can we get in touch with yourself, Scott? Uh, really hit me up on LinkedIn or otherwise, yeah, get my details off our, um, off our website there. So I'm in our Perth office. So yeah, yeah. Just give us a buzz or, or get in contact that way. Thank you for tuning in to the Farms Advice podcast. It is produced by Advert Your Eyes Digital, the agribusiness marketing specialist. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more information on this episode and the others before and spread the Farms Advice. If you love this episode, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe as it helps other farmers find us too. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Farms Advice podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.